All right, folks, we're back here, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. I came here to speak at a little uh, lunch event, and I'm here with my buddy Scott Eicholt. How you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. You, you picked me up from the event, so I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. It's always nice to be able to give a ride when we can here in Fairbanks. The Westmark, that's your, you're affiliated with them, right? Cause yeah. The union or? Yeah, we represent the Westmark Hotel, so uh, about 100, 125-year-round folks over there. Uh, summertime brings in about another 100 uh, oh, yeah. seasonal, so... So you're the business manager for the the local, uh, oh my God, nine forty one, nine forty two, nine forty two, nine forty two, and yeah. I, I I should have got that right because when I came here on uh, September we profiled a couple of the the races the Kawasaki Kelly race and the Adam Wool um, McKinley race. You gave me one of those uh, hoodies, yeah, nine forty two hoodies, and I wear it all the time. And people always ask me if I'm a labor. Like yeah, well, people, they say, "Oh, you're a laborer from Fairbanks," and I go, "No, I just somebody gave me the hoodie." But people recognize that 942. Well, we, you know, we'd be happy to represent you, Jeff. So anytime I mean, you want to come and join, you know, we're going to unionize the landmine. You know, <laughs> just me and a few other folks. You well, know, we, maybe we will. You know, <laughs> um, so you and I, I think I met you. Were talking earlier. I met you at the, one of the resource conferences years back. Yeah, uh, in Anchorage, uh, the RDC. RDC. Yeah, I sat on a panel there. Um, actually, tomorrow I'll be sitting on a a panel with the Fairbanks Pipeline Training Center uh, at the AOCA concert. I'll be over there. Conference. I'll be over there, too, the Alaska Oil and Gas Association. Yeah, uh, great. We're making a video, actually, so. Good. Be very high energy. Yeah, always uh, is. It's got to be. <laughs> so you've been here, um, let's talk about, you, you, you've been in Fairbanks for quite a while, right? Yeah, I've been in Fairbanks for uh, nearly 20 years now, and with the laborers for about 15 of that. So you've been, how long have you been business manager? Uh, this is my second year. I've got one more year left in my term. What were you doing before that? Uh, I've worked in the local for, uh, 10 years now. So I started out as an organizer, uh, became a business agent and president, uh, was president for five years. And then, uh, the members, uh, honored me by electing me the business manager two years ago. Got a nice office here. I like the office. Yeah. Thanks. Nice table. Yeah. Um, so the labor's history of, of labor in Fairbanks is pretty fascinating with like the pipeline, right? That was taught in the seventies. I mean, that was huge amount of, of, of labor going yeah. on there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but I want to say we were well over 10,000 members during the pipeline days. Um, it was a crazy time. You know, there's lots of stories. Uh, I'm sure I've, you've heard. I've, I've heard a lot of yeah. them. Yeah, man. I wish I could go back in time. You probably find a lot of our members seated through those stories. Uh, but it was a good time for Fairbanks. Uh, I think it was the birth of the city that we have today. So how'd you get affiliated with um, the union? How'd you start getting involved with the uh, laborers? Uh, you know, I moved uh, when I was 30 years old. I moved from Ohio um, looking for different opportunities. Had never worked a union job uh, prior to moving to Alaska. Uh, I got involved with um, my brother's uh, friend who had started a business uh, as insulators, and uh, we had kind of morphed into the uh, laborers' union after about five years, and and uh, so here I am. Wow. Yeah. So how many people do you guys represent, like laborers, and then you guys represent other businesses too that aren't necessarily labor laborers, right? Yeah, total membership, we're right about 1,000. Uh, we represent the northern half of the state, 
uh, there just there's a demarcation line about halfway through uh, that runs east to west. Um, we're on the northern half, and then local 341, our sister local, mm-hmm. uh, represents south of that. That's uh, Joey Merrick, right? That's right. I like that guy. And yeah. Zach Fields. Yeah, Zach and uh, you know Brandon Calcaterra and Pete Dahl. There's a whole Who, crew down there. So. Who's the uh, is it Irish or English guy? Uh, he's Isn't Irish. It? Irish, yeah. He's a yeah. Char- he's a character yeah. too. Yeah, Larry Mooney. Him. Larry Mooney. Yeah, yeah, I've met him a few times. Yeah, he's a good guy. So you guys are so, affiliated, but you guys represent different parts of the state. We do. Yeah. So uh, the other part we represent is um, is southeast. So from Haines to Ketchikan, and then Joey uh, represents the whole Lucian chain. So um, it's a lot of area to cover for you know just a couple of locals. So you guys, your companies you represent, it's not it's not all. Necessarily laborers, right? You guys represent companies that might be doing something di- totally different. We're we're all laborers, um, uh, as you know, our our name uh, you know stands. But um, the industries that we represent is pretty uh, varying. We represent the West Mark that we mentioned before, uh, which is uh, you know the hotel industry. Um, we represent a lot of federal service contracts. Uh, you know, of course, the vertical and horizontal construction, and then. Uh, the petroleum industry. So do you guys have, um, when a big project comes up, a job comes up with um, somebody who's one of the members or somebody who's um, union affiliated, do they come to you guys and say, we, we need people, we need people for this job? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're, we always got our eye on the bid list, um, seeing who wins the bids. Uh, most recently, Great Northwest, one of our contractors here in town, won a project on the Richardson Highway between Fairbanks and North Pole. Uh, so we'll have a pre-job with them. Uh, we sit down and talk about the scope of the work, what their manpower needs are going to be, what the skill sets will be, and then we're able to prepare our workforce and, and get guys uh, guys and gals lined up. You guys have a training facility as well? Yeah, we have a wonderful training facility. Uh, we have two campuses, one in Fairbanks and one in Anchorage. Um, it's world-class training. We have the only... ANSI certified instructors in the world. Okay, um, what's an- ANSI? The American Nationals uh, Safety Institute. So when you put on safety glasses, there's a Z87 stamp on there. Um, that's ANSI certified, ANSI approved. Uh, we are the only human beings that have a stamp. Wow. Yeah, it's a pretty big honor. It takes about between three and four years to get uh, an instructor ANSI certified. So somebody, I actually saw a video recently on facebook it was i think from the anchorage it was from the anchorage facility but basically you've seen the video it's like different people they signed up and they wanted to get get a job and they came to the training and they did the initial kind of test of carrying bricks and sandbags and whatever and then they they got accepted and then they you know they do all the training and then they go to work and they were saying you know the wages are really good and, and there's always steady work yeah so uh that you're talking about our apprenticeship program and our recruitment process um, it's pretty rigorous. We do put them through quite a, quite a physical test. Uh, being a laborer is quite demanding. So we want to make sure that the candidates are uh, fit and ready to go to work when we get them uh, fully enrolled. So do you guys have, I mean, is there a lot of new folks coming in here for, in the training program? Is it full or is it? Yeah, we, just, uh, we just brought in a brand new class. Uh, I think there's 22 uh, new recruits that we brought into the apprenticeship program. Um, it's it's a very diverse group, men and women, uh, young. We have some that are in their 40s, actually, um, who are just looking for new opportunities, maybe get into a new industry, 
Um, but they they uh, realize that our training is top notch and uh, that the opportunities are going to be great. So you know the history of labor in Alaska, specifically Fairbanks, is you know you got some politicians who talk about kind of right to work stuff and anti labor, but um, Alaska is kind of unique. I mean, it's in a lot of ways built on on unions and labor. Yeah, and I mean you hear I'm sure you hear about a lot of these some legislators want right to work and they want to bust up unions. Uh, is that something? It seems like that was louder a couple of years ago. It seems like it's quieted down a little bit. But I mean, you guys still com- combat combat that and have to deal with we people do. who want to break you up. Yeah. So I mean, we're always concerned about right to work. The only thing right to work does is uh, work to defund the unions. And the unions, uh, first of all, a union is the people. The members are the union. So uh, when they're attacking the unions, they're attacking our members, and we take that personally. Um, when they're working to defund the unions, that all they're doing is taking away our ability to represent our, our members properly and give them a strong voice. So what, what do you think drives a lot of the certain pe- people who have the anti-union, whether it's public or private, they want to, I mean, I just, I always wonder kind of what drives that. Well, I, I think mostly it's mental disability. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, Jeff, it's really hard to say there's certain industries the uh, 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 you know the far right conservative groups want nothing more to, than to uh, concentrate the wealth to the top. Uh, we're fighting that day by day, uh, you know. But that's part of the story, I think. Do you feel like I mean, when I first ran in 2012, I was around some some extremely kind of far right anti union folks, and just kind of like what I was hearing and and what I was around and. Um, I've since obviously changed a lot of my views on, on that because I feel like when you start to explain how unions function, especially private unions, I think a lot of folks, do you find that when you start to explain to somebody who might be, who's willing to listen to you, might be kind of anti-union, once you start talking to them, maybe they start saying, oh, well, those like, you know, like right to work, you know, I, I understand you have to, even if you don't pay the dues, you still get represented by the union. Yeah, which that's is total that's free rider right. scenario, which I think is you know ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you you show me one business that provides a service, uh, you show me one lawyer, you know, on a normal day, uh, that's going to provide a service for free. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't happen. You're not going to walk into Lowe's and just carry stuff out without without getting arrested. It's ridiculous. We provide a real service to real people, and uh, you know, obviously, it takes money to keep the lights on, uh, to pay our salaries, and and uh, provide benefits and everything else. So, um, you know, it just, so to your question, when I explain it to people, um, most get it, most do. When you start explaining that people have literally died for the right to work eight hours a day, and and that's as real as it gets, you know. Uh, It's not made up. Our history is built on it in the United States here. Um, People have died to earn the right to only work 40 hours a week or to what's called the weekend or our health benefits and pensions, you know, that's all fought and won by the unions. Nobody else did it. The, mm-hmm. It wasn't the generosity of the businessmen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Something else I, you know, I think I, I learned was you look at the, the average wage or the wages in, in union states versus right to work states, you know, or states where they've adopted right to work and, you know, it's pretty compelling. I mean, the, the wages go down. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's just pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it frustrates me how companies like Walmart 
you know, can people can work there 40 hours a week and they get it often, oftentimes or many cases get paid, you know, po- like poverty level wages. Mm-hmm. And then they're taken, they have to apply for public benefits because they aren't getting paid enough. So in that case, Walmart is getting, you know, subsidized by taxpayers because they aren't paying their people enough to, right. to not have to, you know, take public assistance. Yeah. You know, you could look at all these different business models and, um, you know, to we, we could start naming off all the different ones that we feel don't treat their workers, you know, pay them a, a living wage. We call it a living wage. When you look at Costco's model, the owner of Costco makes a decent salary and whatever that is, is his business. But, you know, he's not doing it for free, obviously. Um, but he also pays a living wage and provides good benefits. The article his, came out recently. You see that where the people at Costco are making like, Almost some some cases six figures, right? And you know they're they starting stay, out. They stay there a long time. They long term employees. They're starting out at like eighteen bucks an hour. So um, when you're when you're paying a living wage, people are going to stick around. You have lower turnover. You have lower training costs. You know, so it's if there's a definite benefit to keeping people around. Um, if Costco can make money and be profitable and expand their businesses. Then everybody else could. It just, it's a, to me, it's a clear sign that they just want to take more and more and more for themselves and not take care of the people that's taking care of them. So that's, that's why we fight for prevailing wages, you know. Um, What's a prevailing wage is kind of the the wage in the area that is like the livable way, the living wage basically? It's an area standard. So generally speaking, when uh, the unions negotiate with the contractors, um, it, it goes to the state of Alaska or whatever state you're working in. Um, and Nevada actually just signed it back into law. They did not have a prevailing wage until, uh, I think yesterday they actually signed it back into law, um, which is a huge win for the workers of Nevada union and non-union alike. When, when you have a prevailing standard, it raises the wages for everybody. It sets a floor, uh, back in the thirties when, um, FDR, had his new deal, uh, you know, it was to bring us out of that, the economic despair of the the uh, stock market crash of the 20s and uh, the Great Depression. They needed an economic stimulus. So he created this spend money to make money, right? Uh, they recognized that contractors were willing to race to the bottom and just pay less and less and less to their workers just to win the work. Yeah. So they, they set a prevailing wage and this is the standard and it's worked up from there. That's kind of when all that NL, NLRB stuff kind of started getting. Yeah, that's too, right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Fairbanks, obviously, there's kind of history of oil and gas here, and lab, labor's. You know, I'm sure it's a big part of your industry. Um, how much stuff do you do? You know, on the slope with your people, and obviously, the price of oil's been steadily kind of going back up, and it's been holding around seventy. And do you guys see a lot of work in the oil and gas industry coming up here in the next uh, up ne- next drilling season? Yeah, we're um, we're excited for the next uh, winter season, winter construction. Um, generally speaking, it keeps a fair share of our members working, our construction hands working uh, through the winter time. Um, it's a big deal for Fairbanks. It's a big deal for the interior. Um, as you mentioned in the '70s, when we built a pipeline, that was like the major boon. But we've been tied to uh, resource development in Fairbanks since its beginning. Uh, probably mining know, mining I imagine. yeah we we started with mining and fishing and you know to some degree timber 
uh, for the boats that were moving up and down the rivers. And yeah, I just rode the. Uh, it's crazy. I rode the riverboat yesterday, the Discovery, the, the Binkley's uh, boat. That's a great boat, isn't it? And, yeah, and I I went on there all you know the whole deal three hours and you know it's diesel powered now. But they were saying back in the day when they did it, you know, hundred years ago, or whatever, uh, it burned a cord of wood an hour. Isn't that crazy? And this is like insane. I mean, they literally had stops all up and down the river where people would, their business was like cutting wood and selling wood to the riverboat. That's customers. right. And that was part of that economic engine, uh, so to speak, that, uh, you know, we just we just had a big rally for Save Our University. And the, yeah, I heard about that. The overarching theme was it's part of the fabric of the community and part of the economic engine of the community. There's only so many pieces here. There's only so many pieces of our economy that's that's keeping us moving. And uh, petroleum is one of them. The university here is, a, I mean, I spent more time in Fairbanks over the last couple of years, and you just realize how important for for jobs and for the you know the economy and for um, for the city of Fairbanks, how important the university is up here. I think it's probably more of an impact here for sure than, you know, the University of Alaska Anchorage is in Anchorage. Well, it's, you know, this is where uh, University of Alaska started. It was right here in Fairbanks. And, uh, you know, we're really proud of that fact. There's really rich history. Uh, generations have went to school here, um, have worked for the system uh, and or both. Uh, my wife is a graduate. She worked uh, at the university for a number of years. Um, so it's just, it, it touches everybody. You, you can't get away from it and, and we shouldn't be trying to. So, um, so some of these, you know, under the governor's proposed budget, the university took a huge hit. I mean, that's a lot of that's been clawed back. We'll see what happens with his, his veto when they pass the budget, but also the, the, the property taxes, um, from like the North slope, you know, transferring those, but that also affects Fairbanks, right? Don't you guys have, you guys have oil and gas property taxes, don't you? We do. Yeah. The pipeline runs through the borough. Um, and we, uh, you know, we see a certain number of dollars through, uh, the tax, uh, the tax base there. Um, if that goes away, it gets shifted onto the homeowners and, you know, that's, it's just going to cripple people. Back in the eighties, when work really slowed down, you saw empty houses, people mm-hmm. just leaving their keys on a kitchen counter and, and, abandoning them what are property taxes i mean in anchorage they're much higher than the national average are they are they pretty high up here property taxes or you know i to say they're high you look at the services that you get for the taxes you pay um we don't have a state income tax um fairbanks has a sales tax right no fairbanks doesn't Does, have a sales tax. Uh, yeah, north pole does oh, okay so, right. um, but it's minimal you know and it's um you know it's it's not crippling yet if we lose uh, the oil revenue through the pipeline, you know, through that tax base, then it's going to become, you know, pretty, pretty detrimental, I would say. Not salmon, you know, they talk about the bond debt reimbursement and, and Anchorage. I mean, if that were to go away, the school bond debt reimbursement, that would, I think would ha- hit the average homeowner like 400, 500 bucks a year. Right. You know, that's, that's major. So, you, I mean, what's, I've been to Fairbanks in the winter a few times. I mean, you live here 20 years. I mean, how, how do you deal with, it's like so fucking cold, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark. Well, we have a saying in Fairbanks: we endure the winters to enjoy the summers, because uh, the well, summers are definitely one of the best kept secrets out there. So. We're here right now, and it's—I think it's probably seventy degrees, and you know, just sun's out, and it's just really nice today. Yeah, yeah. You know, my my brother told me one time. He says it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, it's it's not all that hard, honestly. When it's fifty, sixty below, it slows things down. What about the uh, the air quality? Is that still a kind of a thing? Because you, you live over, I went to your house once, you live over there 
on the ridge, right? Yeah, I still am in the non-attainment area, though. So um, I get uh, burn restrictions and, and everything else like, uh, like you know, anybody from North Pole, Salcha, uh, into the core of Fairbanks. Air quality is definitely an issue. Um, we're working on some projects right now with the uh, interior gas utility. Um, and uh, they're building a new tank that should be commissioned soon. So what's the deal? So the, it gets really cold, there's an inversion, and the the smoke or whatever can't leave, so yeah. it gets trapped in the air. And then, it, I mean, it can, on a really bad day, can you can you feel it or can you smell it? I mean, is it definitely, a, yeah. Is it like when you yeah. breathe it in, or more just it smells bad? Or no, it's it's not such a pungent odor, but you do notice it, um, especially when you're getting the wood smoke. Um, oil actually contributes uh, when it hits the atmosphere. The sulfurs uh, convert into PMs. Um, you know, it's it's all a problem. Uh, when it gets really cold, the air gets stagnant and it, mm-hmm. and it can't rise. And they call it the air shed. You know, it runs. We're kind of in a bowl here, um, surrounded by hills, and it can't run away from town when it gets so cold. It gets bottled up against the the hills. So. Yeah, it's just such like a we hear about an anchorage, but it's just such a like a foreign problem. To yeah, like we don't even kind of like understand it. It's it's a serious problem. You know, we have um, two major uh, military. Uh, installations here in the community um fort wainwright is basically on a a no build uh status Uh, they can't expand because of the uh, air quality um they're a contributor to the air quality and it's a federal installation so um you know they put them limitations on themselves so do those pellets do those help or i know people talk about those pellet stoves or yeah that's that's something that that i don't even know i've I've seen the pellets They they look kind of funny it's you know i've got a pellet stove um i use it once in a while uh and it's pretty clean you know they do burn clean it's uh the moisture content is the key when you're when you're burning products so um solid fuels a lot of folks they go out and cut their own wood and they'll have have a high moisture content uh that reduces the efficiency of the wood so you burn more um it doesn't burn complete and that's where you're getting your uh, poor air quality Mm mm-hmm so we talked a little bit about oil. Um, if, and we've been talking about this for 40 years, the gas line, but if there were to be a gas line built at some point, I mean, that would be, I assume, major boom for, for not just the laborers, but for the state, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're looking at, uh, you know, 15,000, 20,000 uh, relatively direct jobs, and then all of the the collateral work that would come from that, new restaurants. And, and it's, it's going, no matter what, it's going through Fairbanks anyways, even if it... Uh, it, it wouldn't go through Fairbanks yeah, near, as proposed. Near, near, near Fairbanks, yeah. right? Yeah, it's about be, 40 miles from here. It's going to affect, I mean, it's yeah. going to affect Fairbanks positively. Definitely. If it happens in the positive, because yeah. there's still like, is it Nikiski, is it Valde? I mean, there's still questions about where it would I, end up, but. Yeah, I think there's still, um, there's still some fights going on with the final destination. Um, you know, uh, for Fairbanksans, we would rather have it follow the pipeline route. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and go to Valdez because then again, that, that tax revenue from another, uh, line coming through the borough would definitely help our community. Um, you know, there's, there's already an established deep water port there, uh, to handle those kind of products. Um, but then, uh, going the other route, it's already, uh, you know, designed that way. Um, the permitting is working toward that. So we wouldn't want to upset the apple cart, you know just to, to spite one plan. So you said tomorrow you're speaking at the AOGA, you're on a panel at the Alaska yeah. Oil and Gas Association. Yeah. You're talking about the training program? 
Yeah, so um, we're a partner uh, of four unions. Uh, it's the laborers, the operators, the teamsters, and the pipe fitters uh, who belong to the, um, uh, the Fairbanks Pipeline Training Center. And uh, every year we build a real pipeline right here in Fairbanks to prepare our uh, apprentices and, and journey workers of how to build uh, a pipeline. Oh, shit. In, Oh shit! Yeah, how big? Yeah. How long is it? Uh, I I don't know the exact footage. It's around a mile long. So, wow! No shit! Yeah. Wow! Really? Yeah. What are you doing? You take it apart, or yeah, they cut it apart every year. Um, you know, our our vertical support members are temporary. They're poured on concrete rather than drilled in, so we can move them around. Um, but we go out and build a real pipeline every single year, uh, and it's it's the only facility that we know of in the world. So these folks who do that, they they're once they're go through the program they're probably very valuable to you know companies here in alaska that need i mean i imagine maintenance on the pipeline as well or oh absolutely because i know yeah. the pipeline was i think it was designed to last 20 some years you know or whatever yeah maybe a little longer and now it's it's been 40 years we, 40 plus years and it's still going yeah well you know bp saying is 40 more so yeah uh, i've heard that yeah you know so they're looking for 40 more years out of their field we need 40 more years out of the line um and that's to reach that point of decline that, you know, it doesn't make sense to, to use the pipe anymore, I believe. Um, we want to see in 100, 100 more years if we can, you know, obviously. Uh, but for the laborers, we teach, uh, we teach our folks how to uh, sandblast and coat. That's important to both new construction, replacement construction, and uh, maintenance on the uh, taps. Um, we do insulation work sheet metal work uh we string the pipe i mean you know there's just there's a lot of as aspects to building a pipeline that people don't realize you know it's not already welded together you got to figure out how long of a piece you need to put in place well, and i watched some of the you know i've seen some videos about the 70s pipeline build and how they i mean they buried under river i mean they you know just crazy middle of winter i mean yeah digging trenches and burying i mean it's just it was wild i mean how they got that thing built and you know 800 mile 800 some mile pipeline it's just incredible yeah it's it you know I, I think we believe it's one of the wonders of the world for sure mm -hmm. uh, because of the challenges that we're faced and overcome uh you know but it's it's a lot of work for us and uh it's meaningful work for the laborers uh we want to see that continue um we're excited for this next pipeline season uh for new construction uh, in fact, we're excited for the next five or six years. It sounds like it's going to be good. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, what's your right now? What's kind of your medium-term outlook for for the economy, for your for your uh, companies, for your your laborers, for uh, for work, and for um, the economy through, in Alaska? Through my lens, um, I would say uh, for for the laborers in particular in the interior, um, work is going to look pretty steady. Uh, we still have military work going on for the next two, three, four years, uh, and maybe longer, depending on uh, what else comes on to the, the slate. Um, the state maintenance isn't coming to a complete halt. Uh, we're still replacing roads and bridges and, and uh, building overpasses and turnabouts and different things like that. So, uh, it was probably years back in those big, huge capital budgets. It was probably like a lot, lot more going on, right? Well, yeah, we could definitely be doing more. We could definitely be doing more. It's, uh, um, you know, it's near dire but uh you know we're losing infrastructure faster than we're building it and and maintaining it for sure um you know the borough has 
hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, deferred maintenance that needs attention. Where's that money going to come from? And especially if if uh, the governor's got got his way and takes the tax base away from the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, was such a radical proposal, especially with the North Slope. I mean, that's like pretty much their whole budget, and even Valdez and Fairbanks. Um, you know, I was in Juneau. I saw you a couple times when you were in Juneau, and it just seemed to me the legislat- legislature was like, no way. Yeah, it's not gonna happen. yeah, I think they were worlds apart. Um, I think it was a radical move. Uh, you know, he's, he's a smart guy. Um, you know, and I think it was, uh, intentional to be on the edge of radical so that the legislators can kind of battle it out and, mm-hmm. and, uh, which they've done. Well, and, it's, I think Peter Majicki told me this, we did a podcast and he made a good point. He goes, you know, you, you propose 1.6 billion, 1.5 billion in cuts. Well, realistically you're proposing about 800 million in cuts and 800 million in transfers. Right. Because there's, you can't cut that. I mean, it's just unrealistic to cut. I mean, the budget used to be a lot bigger. It's been reduced quite a bit from its peak of like $8 billion. Um, But, you know, the point he made was a lot of this budget re- relies on transferring local money to the state. Yeah, you know, it's... I know there's people out there that rely on the PFDs. Um, and it's a, it's a real sensitive subject, even for some of my members. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's real sensitive. Um, some of us could do without it. Some of us couldn't. Um, it's always a moving target, though. So that's the interesting thing for me. A couple of years ago, it was eight hundred bucks. You know, yep. now we're up to three thousand, and and you know that that it becomes the entitlement issue. Um, we are entitled to it, but we're also entitled to having good highways and bridges and schools. Well, I would say, you know, I mean, I understand. I agree. Some folks really rely on that. Their families, but I mean there's a three grand one-time deal or there's a good job. Yeah. Which is going to make, you're going to make a lot more than three grand if you have a good job. Yeah, that's right. That, you get a good know, economy. With meaningful wages, that's a couple of weeks of work, you yeah. know, and I'd rather have the work and building my pension and, and have meaningful health care. Um, you know, that's my perspective and I'm not saying uh, abolish it or anything like that, but what I am saying is, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we should have it at $3,000. You know, maybe we cut it in half again and, and uh, go from there. Well, if they cut it, you know, down to, I think it was twelve hundred. It's a balanced budget with a, a, a pretty good size, you know, budget, decent, you know, operating budget, and okay capital budget. Um, tw- I think it's twelve hundred. I mean, Chris Birch introduced an amendment, Senator Birch, to take it to twelve hundred. That balances the budget. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it. So then you then you kind of sway back to the oil tax conversation, and um, you know, that's not popular with certain groups. That's not popular with my group uh, because we do rely on the oil industry for for jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they talk about those one point two billion, they quote unquote credits, and yeah, it's actually deductions. It's not a cash credit, and and it was based on the whole new tax system. They and that's the problem with I think the tax system is it changes every five or ten years. I mean, yeah, we always change it, and it makes it kind of unstable. For you know, it takes away if you drill a well, usually you're not going to produce oil out of that well for you know, seven or 10 years. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, there's no perfect tax scenario. I don't believe for obviously for everybody, you can't satisfy a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Um, what I do know is the industry is getting ready to gear up. And if we destabilize the tax regime again, um, the confidence worldwide, I mean, it's, you know, it, it shakes around a lot. And if you start moving those parts, uh, I don't I, think it'd be good for Alaska. I always tell 
you know, a story of a oil and gas guy I knew, longtime guy. He was an engineer and he was been in the business almost forty years. And he told me years ago that he his I said, you know, what's the best place for you to work in the world? And he's been all over. And he goes Norway. And I go, it's interesting. You know, Norway has higher taxes. And I go, why is that? He goes, never changes. It's been the way it is. It's forty years. They're, they're kind of partners and. You know, we, we, we make a deal, that's it. We don't have to worry about it. So he doesn't even mind paying more right? when it's stable. Yeah, and that, you, that, you always know what you got. I always kind of took took that, you know, I took that to mean how important it is, you know, stability over, over necessarily the, the price. I've always never forgotten never forgot that. When you run the ring around the world, right, Alaska and Norway are pretty much on the same parallel. So, um, you know, the difficulty in production, uh, maybe it's a little different, I'm sure, but, you know, we're still in the northern regions. And mm-hmm. uh, to say that we're way more difficult, I, I don't know that that's exactly a true statement. Yeah, I, I guess they say the slope, you know, the getting up there and the cost of being up there and operating up there a lot higher than other parts of the, you know, lower 48, for example, where you can just build a road somewhere. Yeah, shipping's always an issue, um, you know. If we had a rail line to Prudhoe Bay, well, <laughs> they're, they're talking about that Alaska Canada rail line now in the legislature. The last in June, they had several hearings on it. So yeah, well, you know, don't tell my Teamsters buddies, but uh, you know, I don't think it's a bad idea. When, you know, for cost of shipping goods, you can ship a ton for you know a couple of gallons of diesel. Yeah, you know, versus um, you know the high cost of trucking. Um, again, it's meaningful jobs, and I I'm not looking to take that away. But um, if we can run. Canada's oil to our line, you know, the state's definitely going to benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, shipping other goods and products, uh, you know, extend that rail line far enough that you can get it to Anchorage to port. We're the furthest west, west uh, unfrozen port to ship goods to Asia. So to me, it's a, it's a win-win-win. You know, the job's to build it. Uh, we benefit from the oil that's going to come into our line, and then we can be a major hub for uh, shipping goods to uh, to Asia. So yeah, that'll, that'll be, if that happens, that'll be a big big game changer. Yeah. Well, Scott, I want to thank you for doing the podcast. I mean, we've been trying to do this for a while. We yeah. picked up in Juno a couple times. We were kind of in and out. So yeah, timing is always an issue, but. Uh, uh, glad you came to Fairbanks to enjoy some of our sunny weather. And, yeah, and I can't believe how nice this weather is, man. Ooh, it's really it's really good out there. Yeah, always a pleasure what, to see you, Jeff. Yeah, you too. What did you, you say? Uh, three nine months of winter. What was that phrase you used? For- yeah. <laughs> you know, we we uh, endure the winter to enjoy the summers. Right. But yeah. So what do we have? Nine months of winter, and or so it's 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 winter and almost winter. I think is our two seasons. So yeah, we have the <laughs> joke people tell Anchorage is you got two two seasons. You got. <laughs> Winter and construction. So. Yeah. There's so many sayings, it's hard to yeah. keep track of them all. All right, well, Scott, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for uh, doing, the, doing the podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow in Anchorage. At the, Absolutely. Uh, we're on the same flight, actually. Yeah. I, I, I switched to the 5 o'clock flight, so. Yeah, sounds great, man. Can't wait to see you, everybody. Thanks again, Scott and folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, get a hold of me, and we'll uh, talk to you next time. Landline.